The story begins on June 8, 2013, hot summer day, and um, I'm healthy 30-year-old. I've gone to, the, gone to the lake with two college students that I've worked with for a number of years, and um, while I was with them, I was reflecting on what I had taught them, that God is good, and that uh, Jesus was his uh, natural expression on earth, and that I was, I was to avoid you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Okay, I wasn't, I wasn't perfect at sex or rock and roll, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but that day, I was behind it. I was on an inner tube behind a jet ski, and I, when I jumped from one inner tube to the other, the loose rope somehow got around my neck. And when the jet ski took off, it went taut. And it dragged me underwater, and I grasped for the rope as it tore through the flesh of my neck. And I felt the panic of reaching for the surface. And I thought, it's over. And I finally made it to the surface and back to the dock. And when I got to the dock, I tried to talk. And it was only sounds and moans, no words. And air, I was forcing in and out of my lungs. I couldn't breathe. I could feel my throat closing. Finally made it to the truck. We're driving to the Matsu Regional Hospital at over 100 miles an hour with one of the kids. And as I was driving, the throat continued to close more and more. And as it closed, I thought, well, this is how it ends. What will it be like? Will I panic for my last breath? Or will I just quietly and calmly lay my chair back and accept my fate? Will I stop the truck, open the door, and go lay in the grass? How should I pass? What will this be like? What will my last words be? Oh, wait, I can't talk. How about thoughts? I don't know. We arrive at the hospital. I sprint in to the uh, emergency room, and they stop me at the front desk to fill out paperwork. And I, I think, oh, great, insurance questions. I should have laid in the grass. <laughs> I don't want to die doing paperwork. This is miserable. <laughs> So then I, I just busted through the ER doors myself, and the last thing I remember there was a tube being jammed down my throat in their attempt to intubate me. I was flown to the Washington Medical Center in Seattle, and once I arrived there, it was only within a short time they discovered that my carotid artery had been damaged and was blocking the blood flow to the right side of my brain. And while it was blocking that blood, it caused a 97% stroke of my right hemisphere. And that stroke, they CAT scanned me, and the doctor said to my mother, we need to take Trevor into emergency surgery right away. And she asked, well, what will, they, what will happen if you don't? He'll be dead in less than an hour. Well, then go. Takes me in. They remove the right side of my skull to allow my brain to swell. And as they do that, my mother is weeping, certain that my death is uh, imminent. And the doctor comes back in, removes his mask, and says, he made it, he's alive. They set me back in the bed, and I'm still unconscious for the next week. And the doctor says, um, the doctor, the nurse, these are the things they begin to say. One, the nurse says, Trevor is the most critical patient in the ICU right now. And then the doctor said, 
Uh, we've never seen a stroke this large on a living person. And uh, in fact, if by some anomaly Trevor were to survive this, it is most likely that he will never walk again. What kind of guy, what kind of guy was he? Active? Mountain climber? Scuba diver? Skydiver? Well, uh, he most likely will not remember or know you, and you won't know who he is. What we want to know is, are we doing too much to save his life? My parents' response was, if Trevor can have relationship with people, he will want to live. Keep going. So they went on. They started a, face or a social media page, and they spread it all over the world. And by the time my story was over, we had nearly, almost exactly, 100,000 hits on that webpage. It spread all over. There was people in our Christian community through the grapevine that were praying all over for my recovery. And miraculously, at the end of that time, the seven days, I began to slowly wake up. And as I awoke... I began to become aware of the reality of what had happened. I reached over and felt on the left side of my body. I was unable to move that left side. In fact, I could not walk, talk, or swallow. Shortly after that, my thoughts began to be, oh, great, I'll never be able to have an IPA at the Moose's Tooth <laughs> with Landon or Justin, and holidays are going to be horrible. And then I, uh, I finally, as I'm waking up, my first thought was, oh, that life of abstinence and giving to others, I, did I miss it? I tell you, I, I'll never be able to go on a bender in Vegas or the Mardi Gras and enjoy it. I skipped Cancun in college. Man, this was the reality that was setting in with me, and I was beginning to grieve and tears and sorrow of, man, I've lost everything. I missed it. But then the letters came in, poured in from the kids I had worked with. And they said, Trevor, you have no idea how much your life has impacted me. You encouraged me towards God, and it has made all the difference in my life. And we just want you to know how thankful we are for you. And we heard from countries all over the world, unique some obscure, China, Peru, Sweden, France, even Texas. <laughs> yep. In fact, we heard from Swaziland, and my friend, uh, my friend, uh, forgetting his name, that's great. <laughs> my friend said to me, he said, Trevor, that's great. Uh, yeah. My whole life, I've been told to pray for Africa. Now Africa is praying for you. <laughs> and I, after that, was told by my physiatrist, Trevor, I gave you less than a 5% chance to ever move your left limbs again at all, let alone function with them. And I, in the next four weeks, walked out of that hospital with a single point cane and saying, I did not miss it, I am in. <laughs> <laughs>